sometimes unconventional, but always entertaining. They're kooky and they're spooky. It's time to cross to the other side. Welcome to Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata. Welcome to Spooky Sundays to all of our beautiful darksiders, para-stalkers, para-lurkers and our grand poobars. Welcome to yet another night of spookiness and ookiness with our hosts, myself, Anne Rekovic, and sitting over there from me is the wonderful Renata Danielle. Sorry, Daniel. How's, how you doing, Renata? I'm doing very well, thank you very much. Very exciting here, isn't it? Yes. So much happening. Yes. What are we doing? We're getting ready to... Well, leave and come home. Yes, that's right. Yes. So you're listening to this show right now as we're packing the bags to leave tomorrow and it'll actually be, when it's playing, we're going to be home on Thursday. Yes. Yes. That's just a little bit hard to wrap my head around. Yeah, so next time you hear our lovely voices on this radio station, we will actually be live in studio. In studio. Mm. Yeah, getting ready for the next one. Oh, no, don't say that, Anne. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. All right, it's been a great week. We've had a lot of fun mm-hmm. and we have been recording day and night mm-hmm. to get these shows out uh, and... How are you feeling about the flight? I think I'll just um, whack in a wine or two and sleep. (laughs) I wonder if they have Baileys on this one. We could go triple Bailey shots. Oh, but it's Vietnam Airlines, isn't it? This is true. (laughs) Can we we pig out and bun me rolls instead? Maybe if we have a a whole ton of carbs, that will knock us unconscious. Oh, I don't know. Oh, no. That's all just going to be sitting there swirling away in our stomachs (laughs) as we're up in the air and it will be looking for a release valve. Well, it's all right. We've we've got six hours in Vietnam to be able to release that. So, uh, yeah. All right, I've got my bum pillow. I've got my noise-cancelling headphones. I've got my new neck pillow. I am ready. (laughs) I am ready. Do you want a medical bed as well, Anne? Oh, yes, please. Can you organise that for me? What what money do they have in Vietnam? What what Dong. (laughs) Dong. (laughs) They're dong. I'm not joking. It's dong. (laughs) I think so. Yeah, it is. I'm pretty sure it's dong. (laughs) All right. So, do you have a story of the week for us? Of course I do. I scour the internet. I scour everywhere. You spend hours. Hours and and seconds. Staring at um, the screen to find you the best news of the week. And boy, this is a really interesting one. Is it a cracker? So this one comes from higgypop.com. It's going to be good. Love higgypop.com. What great work that person does to keep this going. But this is a survey that has just come out that higgypop.com did with some of their listeners, some of their readership, and it concerns ghosts, hauntings, and more importantly, do people who believe in ghosts actually believe in demons? Mm. Mm. And this survey, which surveyed... And the survey says... 18, oh, sorry, 816 individuals. So, mm. I mean, you know, 816 individuals, not a huge amount. Yeah, I when, there would have been more. But, yeah. Anyway, um, they all had to um, write in and um, 
the stats are in. <gasps> what did they say? And 74% of all respondents answered that they believe in demons. Oh, dear. 74%. Wow. So of these ghost-believing individuals, the vast majority also stated that they believe in the existence of negative entities or demons. Interestingly... Ah, okay, they've lumped it into one thing. Yes. Right. Yep. Uh, interestingly, more than half of these respondents further stated that these entities are capable of capable of possessing individuals and an overwhelming 69% expressed their belief that these entities can cause harm to the living. I was reading a post this afternoon um, about someone who put up some information about a haunted doll that they were trying to buy. Mm. Oh, it was really eye-opening. So if you want to look at the type of people that you are um, dealing with when it comes to um, the paranormal, you're probably best to have a look at some of the Facebook pages that are out there and look at the um, things that people are writing as their answers because it will give you a really good insight into uh, their minds and what their belief system is. And remember, it doesn't matter what you think you know, the most important thing is about what you believe, what you believe, and that is the truth to people. Yeah, that is their truth. Mm -hmm. But where are they getting their information from? Well, that's another matter. Let me go back to these stats. Oh, when it comes stats. To, yeah, when it comes to the nature of ghosts, 52% believe that they are the spirits of the dead, while 38% feel that ghosts or hauntings can be explained by natural or scientific causes. Only 38%. Interestingly, despite the popular fear around hauntings, only 48% of respondents overall felt that ghosts could potentially harm the living. Mm. Mm. Participants were also queried about their involvement in ghost hunting or investigations With 56% sharing that they have participated in such an event And that's interesting, only 56% have participated, done anything like that But look at the other percentages with their beliefs Mm -hmm. Wow The effectiveness of ghost hunting equipment was a topic of interest as well, with a slight majority, 51%, believing that devices such as EMF meters and EVP recorders can indeed detect the presence of ghosts. Uh, So they're all on the fence about that one. Mm. Furthermore, the survey touched upon the topic of regulation and professional certification in the field of ghost hunting and paranormal investigations. Here, the readership was divided, with 33% supporting regulation and 36% opposing it. Oh, one, and then, who then, would then you've got a, it? well, then you've got about thirty percent who don't care. They didn't even they so, didn't yeah. even bother answering. But who regulates it? Because there are so many different belief systems. If you had a religious person who was going to regulate it, then you're going to end up with a very different set of rules compared to what we would follow. Because mm. we would be looking at more of the psychology and the environment rather than mm-hmm. the religious side and, and doing no harm and do no harm mm. simple as that mm-hmm. oh there's none of that happening <laughs> <laughs> the belief in negative entities or demons is a striking highlight of this survey bought f- and it brought forth interesting insights 59 percent of respondents expressed belief in such entities only 28 claim to have had a personal encounter with them Reflecting the inherent fears surrounding the topic, 58% of respondents felt that negative entities or demons could be harmful to the living. Mm -hmm. 
So that's really, really interesting. So I'm just going to, in just a few minutes um, that I've got left, just talk to you about um, the percentages with regard to some of the questions. So mm-hmm. first well, question. Did, did they tell you how many males and females in age groups? Because no. that would be really interesting it too. It would be. It would be. I'd love to run um, a um, survey like this in Australia to see what we get. Ooh. That would be very interesting. Ooh. So do you believe in ghosts? 74% said yes. 6% said no. 21% said not sure. Have you ever had a personal experience with a ghost or haunting? 70% said yes. 16% said no. 14% said not sure. Do you believe that certain places can be haunted? 80% said yes. 7% wow. said no. 13% said not sure. Would you ever li- have you ever lived in a home that you considered to be haunted? 50% said yes. 42% said no. 9% said not sure. Oh, there's a lot of sense, sense I've already called fence sitters in there. Yeah. Do you think that ghosts or hauntings can be explained by natural or scientific causes? This is really interesting. 38% said yes. <gasps> oh, no. 20, uh, 26% said no. And 37% said not sure. Oh, fair enough. Uh, do you think that ghosts or hauntings can be harmful to the living? 45% said yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, 33% said no. And 20% said not sure. I find that really, really interesting because you've got half of yeah. people saying that these these spirits are harmful. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Mm. Wow, I need to ponder this. Yeah. Hasn't um, <clears throat> paranormal entertainment been very effective at skewing the beliefs yes. of the population? Yeah. But also this percentage, the, the, the selection they've chosen has been from a, a community that believes in this. I don't think it's um, – because they would have put it out in Higgy Pop. Yes. So they haven't put it out to the general populace. So you don't get a – more of a sense of mm. what's it's already going on. biased. Yeah, it's already biased. But, but how it's, interesting! It's quite interesting yeah. to see how much fear has gone into um, this whole area yeah. uh, over the last couple of years. All right, we've got to get off to a song. But thank you, Renata. That was great news. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. And we're back on Spooky Sundays with myself, Anne, and Renata. Now, we've heard from the studio that there was an overwhelming amount of text that came through saying, we want more. Of course they would. They want more. And How was, could you not? That was after my Mills and Boone incubus story. So I've, I've got a little plan. Mm-hmm. And look, I, we're going to a modern day story of the incubus now. Mm-hmm. Uh and we're going to have a, a modern day example, but I wanted to sort of explain how you could look at the incubus in different ways through modern eyes. So, for example, you've got music um, where they might make a metaphor of an incubus as being a toxic relationship, draining the life out of you having sex where you don't want to have sex and you're just in that, that state where your life is, force has been drained and they, they can put that into songs. It's, it appears in TV shows all the time and, uh, I mean, Supernatural, for example, I'm sure it's been in there. But 
the the type of incubus character in a TV show would be portrayed as a very seductive character who preys upon vulnerable individuals, representing the darker side of desire and the consequences of giving in to temptation. Mm. Right. But right. I, I figured because my, I'm getting a little bit husky now that I might get Renata to read the story for me. What do you reckon? Mm. I'm sure okay. she would love to read know. it. I don't know whether I'll be up to this. This is going to be a cold read. So once again, I've I've asked now with the information that I entered into ChatGPT uh, to create a modern day tale based on the Incubus. So I'd like to introduce you to, um, who is our character? Uh, Emma. All right. So you can see where it says modern example there, Renata. She's not read through this, so this should be fun. Imagine you're sitting with your friends at a late night study session in your dorm room. It's already past midnight and you're feeling tired but determined to finish your assignment. Suddenly, one of your friends mentions the myths of the Incubus, a creature from ancient folklore known for visiting people in their sleep. Everyone leans in, intrigued by the eerie tale surrounding this mythical being. You begin to tell a captivating story that entwines the ancient legend of the Incubus with a modern twist. In your story, a young woman, let's call her Emma, is a talented university student with a passion for music. One night, after a gruelling day of rehearsals and exams, she falls into a deep sleep, completely exhausted. As Emma sleeps, she begins to dream of a mysterious figure who appears in her room. This figure is handsome and charismatic, drawing her attention with his enchanting (laughs) voice and magnetic presence. Hello. Unbeknownst to Emma, the figure is an incubus a supernatural being that thrives on the energy of unsuspecting victims. The incubus, taking advantage of Emma's vulnerability, starts to engage her in conversation, complimenting her talents and showering her with attention. They're very good. (laughs) Slowly, he seduces her with promises of success, fame and an extraordinary musical career. Oh, we've met a few incubuses there. <laughs> <laughs> it just dawned on me. <laughs> we have, yeah. yes. <laughs> Telling us we're going to be this and that and yeah, nothing. <laughs> Emma finds herself captivated by his words, unable to resist the allure of these tempting offers. Just like Anne and Renata. <laughs> As their interaction progresses... Emma's friends notice a change in her behaviour. Ah, you're different. She becomes obsessed with her music, (gasps) neglecting her (gasps) studies and relationships. She starts staying up all night, practising relentlessly, fuelled by an insatiable desire (laughs) for perfection. (laughs) Sorry, I'm trying to be... Unbeknownst to Emma, the incubus is gradually draining her energy, siphoning her creative vitality and leaving her physically and emotionally depleted. Her friends become increasingly concerned, witnessing her decline and the toll it takes on her well-being. I'm concerned about Emma. In the midst of this turmoil, one of Emma's friends, a fellow musician, discovers the truth about the incubus. 
Drawing, I know what's happening. Drawing from their knowledge of ancient folklore, they recognise because they read that every <laughs> night of the week. They recognise the signs and realise that Emma has fallen under the influence of this malevolent entity. With determination and courage, Emma's friends devise a plan to confront the incubus. Hey, I've got a plan. <laughs> they gather a group of friends who share their concern for Emma's well-being and together they perform a musical ritual to expel... Baby, shut that. That would get rid of Get out, incubus. Get out, incubus. Yes, so they perform a musical ritual, as we just explained, to expel the incubus from Emma's life. Through their combined efforts, they manage to break the hold of the incubus over Emma. She awakens from her dreamlike state, realizing the extent of the danger she was in. Supported by her friends, Emma gradually. Rebuilds her life, learning the importance of balance and setting healthy boundaries. In modern day society, the incubus myth continues to captivate people's imaginations. Oh, well read, Renata. There you go. Oh, now you had, you must admit, you had a little bit of fun reading that, didn't you? Not enough meat and potatoes. Or was that sausages and spuds? Yeah, not enough meat and potatoes in that one. Oh. Sorry. Well, I thought it was a great one. Well I done, ChatGPT. I give that about a five out of ten. So we're not going to make that one into the book. We're going no. to go back to Isabella and the Father Bernard. Yes. The, from the medieval yes. period. Yes. Excellent. There's, there's more there too. Yeah. Stay tuned for that book coming to you soon. Mm. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for uh, doing that, Renata. You're we're going to go off to a song now and we'll be back with even more rubbish for you. <laughs> Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. This story comes from yourghoststories.com. I've been debating for some time on whether or not to submit this story, although I think it's pretty interesting. It isn't very scary. After growing up in Connecticut, I went to the University of Delaware for college. I've always had a fascination with the paranormal, but I didn't have many experiences growing up. Sophomore year, I became close with my resident assistant. We bonded over our love for the ghosts, as did my close group of friends at the time. She came to my room one day, telling me she had heard that the basement of a building near us used to be a morgue. We later found out that this was a rumour, but regardless, this is what led us to the building. The building was located on Main Street in Delaware and was used as an honours office building for such students to obtain information. It did not hold classrooms. It actually looked like an old house and construction was done to turn it into an office. My RA, Sarah, and I went to the basement of the building. To our surprise, it was finished and to our dismay, was quite plain. It was a small hallway of about five closed locked doors and a vending machine. We quickly realised there was nothing particularly spooky about this, so Sarah suggested we put our ears up to the doors and listen to see if we hear anything. We put our ears up to each door and either heard nothing or the common sounds of a heater or whatnot. Basically common basement sounds. We had listened to all doors except one. The last door was the closet to the stairwell. There were no other doors beside it, as it was located on the far wall of the hallway. We put our ears up to listen. 
We were facing each other at the time, and although we were breathing hard, we were smiling at our situation. I, all of a sudden, began to hear a scratching against the door. It sounded like someone on the other side was taking their fingernail and scraping it against the wooden door. I asked Sarah if she could hear it too, but she couldn't. She placed her ear where mine was, and her eyes grew wide. She heard it too. A strange scraping. We stood back and looked at each other and wondered what could be behind this door. It too was locked. We decided to go up the stairwell into one of the offices and ask someone about it. Our bright idea was to tell an administrator that we were doing a project on the paranormal and were wondering if they had any information on the building. As we climbed the stairwell, something happened. I lost my breath for a moment. I cannot remember this quite well, but I just remember gasping for a second. We were still on the staircase, and up just a few more stairs was the landing with the door to the office propped open. I looked behind me, confused for a moment. Sarah asked if I was okay. I began to explain what happened when the door that propped open in front of us slammed shut. We screamed and ran out of the building, laughing. We couldn't quite explain this, although it could have been explained easily by saying that maybe it wasn't propped open securely and just happened to lose its edge and close. We refused to accept that. We told everyone this story and demanded they come back with us to the basement and listen in on the mystery door. A group of my friends soon came. Some heard the scratching and some heard other things. One friend told me it sounded like a a rocking chair. One time, two people with their ears to the door heard nothing, but my friend and I, who were a foot from the door, heard strange sounds. We decided that was enough and once again climbed the stairwell to speak to an office worker. We found a lady and did our little spiel about doing a project and we were wondering. She interrupted us. You want to hear about our ghosts, right? She asked with a grin. She shared with us that one night she was working in her office alone. She had called a friend to come pick her up. She heard some noises on the bottom floor. She peered down the staircase, not the stairwell, but what used to be an actual staircase in the house before it was renovated, and saw the shadow of a person. Without questioning it, she shouted that she would be right down to whom she thought was her friend. When she grabbed her things and ran downstairs, she found no one. Instead, she peered out the window and found her friend pulling up to the building. How creepy. She gave us some interesting information on the building. She told us it was one of the oldest buildings on the campus and was built in the 1700s. She said about half of the building had been untouched and was never renovated. We asked her which parts. She told us a few rooms and said that the original staircase is still here, along with some rooms in the basement. Actually, she said, one room used to be slave quarters and has never been renovated. Wide-eyed, we asked her which room, and she replied that it was the door right next to the stairwell. 
We all looked at each other knowing it was the door. Sounds coincidental, and perhaps it is, but it was very spooky at the time. We asked her if we could see it, and she explained that she personally didn't have a key for the room and then didn't know who did. We actually came back a few days later with a bobby pin, as if that would have opened it. It never did, and we decided it was best left alone after discovering what it was. Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. Welcome back, everyone, to the Spooky Sunday Show. Oh, you always love being here on a Sunday night. What a grand way to finish the week. And it's late, so just before sleepy time. Oh, oh just sleepy put you, time. <laughs> it just puts you in the mood, doesn't it, for hot chocolate with a bit of malt and just a swig of brandy and no, then no. off to snooze land. It's yes. going to be a, a slow, uh, what do you call it, a dram of scotch. Okay, whatever. It's going to be a dram of scotch. Do you know scrotch. why? Scrotch. Oh, look, <laughs> words are getting hard. Um, the reason why it has to be scotch mm-hmm. is because uh, right about now we're actually in the Isle of Isla. Mm-hmm. We'll actually be getting ready to leave the Isle of Isla, mm-hmm. or Roman and myself, to come back and pick you up mm-hmm. and then start the journey back down to Heathrow Airport so we can get home. Yes. And... This leg of the journey, I thought, well, you know, this is going to be Roman and myself. Now, Roman is a, a paranormal investigator as well. Uh, and I thought, there's no no stories for Isle of Isla, surely. Boy, was I wrong. Mm. I've actually found a castle, a, an abandoned castle and everything. So, I am going to regale you with some of the ghost stories from this little isle just off the, hang on, north, south, is it? East, west. west west coast of Scotland. So it's Isle of Isla, so I-S-L-E, Isle of I-S-L-A-Y. So it looks like Islay of Islay. <laughs> but uh, it is very well known for the Scotch distilleries that are on the island. And um, they're the ones with that really peaty, smoky sort of scotch, which my husband loves. And this was his pick. He wanted to go back there. We have been once before. And um, as I said a week or so ago, he spent most of the time drunk. Uh, So let's see how he goes this time. But let me tell you about the ghost stories. So there is a castle called Kildalton Castle near Port Ellen. Now, Port Ellen is one of the places where the ferries come in. Mm -hmm. And you drive your boat on your boat, words car onto the ferry, and then you drive it off at Port Ellen. So there you, is. A, you would not get me on there. I tried. If you paid me a thousand dollars. I did try because it's. Yeah, it's. I think it's open ocean. It is. Oh no way! It no, is. No, 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 no. All right. So, Kildelton castle near Port Ellen has its very own resident ghost. Now, the story goes that many years ago, there was an employee with a very distinctive appearance who worked for the then Laird, that's the Lord. Uh, Often he would need to leave the island. Despite his absence, people still saw him wandering around the large castle building. Then one day, long after this man was dead and buried, Two women in Cragmore Forest saw a figure walking towards them. 
Important to note is that Craigmore Forest was once the property of the said laird. Significantly, the figure that approached was clothed in the fashion of a bygone era. He was also accompanied by a terrier dog. And he and his dog passed the ladies. To their astonishment, though, there was no sound. So he passed by them completely silently. silently. Oh, I've got chills. They're multiplying. (laughs) They then simply disappeared into the bushes. (gasps) Sacred bush. Mm. Mm. Upon returning home, one of the women described this apparition to their mother, who had once worked for the laird. At once she recognised the description of the man, and he was long dead. Um, he was the long dead uh, man that had walk, worked for the employee. Oh, sorry. Oh, boy. He worked for the la- the laird. All right. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So that's one story. Now, there is another story called The Man. Another one. John Talbot Clifton was born on the 1st of December 1868 and died on the 23rd of March 1928. He was a great traveller known for his hunting parties across Canada, Siberia, Burma and Africa, amongst others. Apparently, eating unusual animals was a bit of a pastime. Apparently, I don't like him anymore. He reportedly devoured a frozen mammoth preserved in Arctic permafrost. I bet it had. I I reckon it had freezer burn. (laughs) You don't know what maggots would have been in that. There's no words. There's no words. Um, It was during his travels in Peru that he met his devoted wife. Violet Mary, and together they had two sons and three daughters. After the First World War, Talbot, as he was known, moved to Ireland where he shot and injured a member of the IRA in an argument over his car. This led to him and his wife being forced out of Ireland, and it was at this point in 1922 that Talbot bought the Victorian castle Kildalton. It was known to be his favourite residence and the Clifton spent most of their time there when not travelling abroad. Sadly, during his final journey to Timbuktu, Talbot became very unwell. He turned back. That mammoth still <laughs> repeating on him. Came back, finally oh. came back for revenge, but later died in the Canary Islands in 1928. Talbot's love of Isla made its perfect spot for his burial and you can still find his grave there at Clock, Rastanal still. <laughs> you need to take a photo of that now. Eh? I, I apologise to everyone, but that's a great little story. Mm-hmm. So he must be known to be haunting there. Mm-hmm. Now we go on to ah, the castle. Look for the man with a mammoth breath. Yeah, with a big bloated tummy from the, the <sighs> mammoth trying to escape. Uh all right. Oh, this is just a little bit about the, the castle. So they say head to Fairy Hill. Oh, um, Fairy Hill. Talbot's final place of rest, and you can glimpse the ruin of Kildalton Castle, once a grand Victorian castle. Uh, it was designed in 1867 by John Barnett the, for the Isla Distiller MP John Ramsey. 
completed in 1870, Kildalton Castle now looks the perfect spot for a ghost story. The windows are dark and filled with shadows that play tricks on your eyes. In the morning, a pale mist leaks from the cracked panels, travelling on the breeze with a swirling vapour. Is this chat GPT No, it gives the impression, (laughs) impression the house is breathing deeply. Legend has it. Now, hang on. I'm just going to make sure this is not going to be the... Oh, um, legend has it that a laird once lived in the castle, had an employee with very... Dis- right, we've done that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they saw him. Now we've got two women have spotted him. Uh, and the dog walked past when him with making no more noise. Um, we can still visit there. I hope to because I had a look at it. And it is abandoned. It is on... Uh, private property but i have an email address so i'm going to email them mm-hmm. and see if they would let me go in there and take some photos mm-hmm. awesome. um, and find out what the rules and the regulations are now i did mention that uh port ellen so there is a ghost there uh country hotel uh they're talking about was once a distillery um, when the building was still in use as a distillery in the 19th century a thirsty burglar paid a visit a burglar a burglar <laughs> <coughs> a thief? How's that? A burglar. A burglar. Uh, being surrounded by barrels of fine malt whiskey. <laughs> he had a tipple or two or three or four. And as a result, not being sharp with sobriety, he made it. He made for the closest exit to get out. Unfortunately, this was a second floor window. No. He did not survive the floor. The floor. The floor? No, he wouldn't have survived the floor. I need to get a bed. (laughs) He did not survive the fall and is said to be still haunting the building to this day. From time to time, he can be seen at the spot where he fell, surprising any visitors in his path. Hello! (laughs) (laughs) The window's now been bricked over. We've got time for... Oh, I've I've actually got a few more. Oh, no, I think I'm going to have to finish up with these ones. Uh, so now we've got the Bowmore's Headless Horseman. <sighs> Upon his return home one stormy night, Bowmore, which is one of the distilleries, Crofter Lachlan Bands or something that spooked him. A headless horseman galloped away from his house, leaving him frozen in fear. As he approached the front of his house, the door was ajar. When he stepped inside, the fire had blown out. And there stood a bottle of Bowmore whiskey and an empty dram. Of course, there then came an explanation to this paranormal experience. Ban's brother had passed the Friday night. Furthermore, he stated that the wind had blown the front door open and blown out the fire. Additionally, he mentioned that he had brought the whiskey to share with him and could not wait no longer. So he had a quick dram himself before leaving. In the light of the terrible weather, he had galloped off with his cloak pulled tightly around his head. Nevertheless, this story still haunts the island today. So apparently he wasn't headless. It's just that he was cold and the weather was coming over, so he's pulled the cloak up over his head, which then made him look like a a headless horseman. So if they tell that story, I'm going to know the truth of it. Mm. To this day, true islanders never offer an opened bottle of whiskey to their guest in fear of attracting the headless horseman. Maybe something to do with the fact that Ban was too embarrassed to tell the real story. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, we better get off. We've gone a bit long on that one, but I uh, hope you enjoyed the story from Isle of Isla, and I'll be back to tell you what really happened. But right now, let's head off to a song. 
It's time to cross back to the other side. Welcome back to Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata. This seriously weird story comes from a Facebook page called Pedestrian. My first experience with a Ouija board was at a friend of a friend's house. I was there with my best friend and her boyfriend at the time. My best friend, we'll call her Jessa, had grown up in this house which was notoriously haunted. The women who lived there would wake up with scratches on their backs. They would routinely see the ghost of a little boy and crazy shit all the time. Anyway, Jessa's childhood friend moved in there when the family moved out. We were there for her housewarming party. Jessa's friend had a board. Jessa and I are both pretty spiritual and neither of us wanted to touch it. Nothing was happening, so Chuck convinced us to do it, saying we were witchy. As soon as we touched it, the cursor started moving. At first it was saying it was a little boy. Jessa and I looked at each other, like, oh, freaking hell, both of us knowing about a little boy in the house. Suddenly, Chuck was like, oh man, did you guys feel that? Yeah, we all felt it. The air became thick, like, you know, hard to breathe. He described exactly what I felt. It was almost like the air was thick fog or mist, but it was still dry. The board started spelling things like S-L-U-T, F-U-C-K-H-E-R, C-H-E-A-T-E-R, B-I-T-C-H. F-U-C-K-Y-O-U. The cursor was moving more rapidly with every word. Finally, Jess was like, OK, stop. And the pointer stopped, dead in its tracks. It stopped so abruptly that my hands slipped off. When I touched it again, it was slowly dragging itself to the bottom of the board, ending on goodbye. Months later, I was crashing at my friend's place, K&J. They had a basement apartment and I was crashing on their couch. The guys invited over some girls and I didn't know and they wanted to use the Ouija board. Should I do that? I don't know the girls. Is this a good thing? I didn't want to touch it, but it wasn't working, so I finally gave in and decided to try it. I had to help them out. Now, as soon as I touched it, the pointer started moving. I was touching the pointer with my friend, Kay, and the cursor was moving really slowly. So as a game, I said, move faster, and it started moving faster. I kept saying, faster, and eventually it was moving so fast, my friend touching the cursor was saying, this isn't funny, as if I was moving it. I said, I wasn't moving it, and he freaked out, releasing the board and the pointer, and the pointer went shooting across the room. At that moment, we were all pretty convinced it was real. One of the girls wanted to see more, so we grabbed the cursor and started again. So then the board asks to speak to a girl named Haley. The board says, family father, and proceeds to spell her dad's name. She starts freaking out. The board says, I'm sorry about her father and that her father was a drug addict and her mum's a drunk. It says she has to leave her house because her dad is angry. Haley starts crying and freaking out, and the board says goodbye. 
we get back to the apartment and Haley is crying. She tells us that her dad is a coke dealer and her mum is drunk all the time. Her home life is awful. Her dad would frequently get drunk and coked up and hit her. She was only 16 or 17 at the time. Kay and Jay say she can stay at their place too. Interestingly, months later, Haley's mum dropped her off at the apartment complex and she told Haley that her great-grandfather helped build the place. She said he lived there his whole life and died there. After that night, I started reading about Ouija boards. A couple of nights later, I went to visit my best friend and her boyfriend at his place, which was walking distance from my apartment. I told them about the whole thing. He said he wanted to try it too. Reluctantly, Jessa and I agreed, keeping in mind we had all been drinking whiskey. Yes, I know. This is altogether an awful idea. The cursor starts spelling out trees, broken glass. Suddenly it starts getting violent, spelling out rape. F-U-C-K, her teeth. Jessa and I tell it to stop and we say goodbye. The cursor drags to goodbye and we put the board away. Suddenly, Chuck is like, oh shit, dude, you're not walking home. He then explains his interpretation of what the board was saying. On my walk to my friend's place, like I said, they lived in a basement apartment. So instead of walking through the halls, we'd just go to the living room window and climb in. To get to the window, I would cut through a back clearing where there were tall trees all over. He's convinced that there are bad guys in there on that night and if I walked home, I would get raped. Hence the F-U-C-K, her teeth. Needless to say, after that visual, I stayed over. The next morning when I walked through the clearing, there were broken glass bottles all over the place. And my friend said that they heard people drinking out there all night. Anyway, I moved out and Haley and I became friends. Kay brought the board over as a housewarming gift. One day, my cousin came over to my apartment and her boyfriend at the time. Her boyfriend notices the board in the corner. He asks me about it and I laugh and tell him the whole story. His eyes get all wide and he asks if we can play with it. Being kind of stoned, I agreed and we started asking it questions. The pointer starts spelling Jess's name. We all get in the car and head over to her place. She's not home, but Chuck is. I left the board in the car and my cousin and her boyfriend and go to talk to Chuck. He said Jessa was at work until nine that night, but we could come in and wait for her. After the incident, he was interested to see what was going to happen. When I got into the car, my cousin and her boyfriend said they heard fingers tapping as if someone or something was waiting impatiently for me to get back. We sat around waiting for a while and Chuck brings out his board from the last time I was over. We used it and it says Jessa, Jessa, and pointing to no, then to the sun in the corner of the board. Over and over, no sun, no sun. Eventually I figured out what it was saying, no light. I asked if it wanted me to shut off the light and it said no, we're not going to do that. I had read that bad spirits do not like the light. Finally, when Jessa got home, she said she was too tired and didn't want to try using it. We agreed to leave it alone and brought the board home. I didn't like having it in my home, so the next time I went to visit Haley at Kay and Jay's place, I brought it back. She said we wanted to try it one more time and then we would get rid of it. I agreed. At this point, I was clearly addicted to it 
for some reason. So Haley and I are at the basement apartment climbing out the window for cigarettes near the back clearing with the trees. We go back in and use a board. The board starts spelling out Haley's name and this time the spirit says its name is Maria. Haley immediately starts to cry and says, that's not funny. I had no idea why or what was going on, but the board keeps saying things like, tell them I miss them. Tell them I love them. I'm here. I love them. As Haley's crying, she explains that her best friend's mum, Maria, had died a year ago. I remember the death. It was big news in our high school. Suddenly the cursor moved and spelled my name. I asked who it was and the cursor said Deb. I read that bad spirits cannot tell their names because they don't have one. If a spirit can tell you a name, then it's usually a good one. I ask how I know her and she says she's my spirit guide. Haley says, how do you know you're real? And the cursor spells cigarette. And I said, what do you mean? And it says window. We look at each other and our heart sinks. I'm like, she knows we smoke outside. And I said, how will we know? And she says, trees. I am like, fuck that. And Haley says, we have to do it. So we're smoking outside. I'm looking into the forest, sweating balls in fear, like I'm going to see a fucking demon face in the branches or something. Eventually we relax and then Haley mid-sentence. Her face drops and goes white. And she's like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Get inside now. I fucking toss my cigarette and jump in the window. We close the blinds and we're breathing super heavy. I'm like, what the fuck happened? She says, in the distance, there was a big ass like 100 foot tall tree. There was no wind. I remember this because I was watching my cigarette smoke go directly up and I was blowing perfect O's without them disappearing. She says the tree was still and then suddenly the whole tree, including the trunk, moved back and forth and then went perfectly still. I was like, hell no. And after a while of freaking out, sat back on that board. When we put our fingers on it, it said, did you see? We fucking freaked out. It was spelling, it's okay, I love you. It's okay, don't be scared. Finally, it asked to speak only to me and for Haley to go away. Haley jokingly said, oh, don't you like me? And the board said, don't be sad. This story closes pretty weak because in my mind, nothing really came of it. When I tried to use the board on my own, nothing happened. I couldn't move it without the help of Haley, and my spirit guide couldn't communicate with me. I like to think it was real and my spirit guide Deb was just trying to get me off the board. As I said, we had talked about it a lot and were using it quite a bit. I sometimes wonder what Deb wanted to tell me. Anyway, that's it. I haven't touched one to this day. But I do have a slight obsession with making Ouija boards as art. Spooky Sundays with Anna and Renata on Newcastle Live. This story is quite unique and it was posted by Da Console Peasant. I never doubted in the existence of the supernatural since I was haunted by a ghost in a Ghostbusters home. So some backstory first. 
Every year, my family consisting of myself, my dad, mum and brother vacation either in Cape Cod or in Martha's Vineyard. By the summer of my eighth grade year, we had vacationed at six houses in total, and so doing this kind of trip was very familiar and exciting. As of right now, I'm in college, and so my memory of what took place that summer is a bit hazy for some parts, but others I have ingrained it into my brain. I'm not going to try and ham up the story, so this is the best of what I remember. This is how the events played out from my perspective. In the month of August 2015, my family, along with my grandparents, my cousins, one the same age as me and the other three years older, and my aunt and uncle had booked a house on Martha's Vineyard for a week and a half. My family, however, would only be staying for a week as our ferry prevented us from staying longer. Ferry tickets can be extremely hard to get around this time of the year. Only two days before leaving did our grandmother reveal to us that this house was actually owned by the Dan Aykroyd and was a winter resort for him and his wife that they would rent out during the summer periods. Psyched out of our minds, we were pretty excited to check the place out. Plus, we got an accompanying beach pass, which was a mile away. Skipping to when we get off the ferry and arrive at the house, my brother and I immediately just get out of the car and start exploring the house straight away. Our parents would arrive later in the day with our cousins a day after. Now, to my knowledge, this house is still up for renting, and so if someone is interested, you might be able to see pictures of the house. I haven't been able to since this trip, but I can describe the house as pretty big. The pebble driveway led to the house, which is raised onto a hill, and this means the garage and basement was level with the driveway, split in half with the living space on the left and the garage on the right, while the main floor of the house was above. Stairs on the right led up to a very nice deck with a hot tub and glass windows. Now this was alongside the house. The inside was pretty spacious and there were five bedrooms, including the master bedroom and a makeshift bunk bed in the basement. My parents slept in the master bedroom and everyone else in the normal bedrooms. Now, because my brother and I usually get the shit end of the stick, we naturally got to stay in the basement. Super fun, huh? Now to describe the basement. A narrow L-shaped staircase across from the house entrance and the deck. And it leads down into the basement, which has concrete floors, walls, but has many rugs around them. The basement is set up in such a way so that, and this is from the perspective of having the staircase to my left, It counts as a bedroom, but its primary use is for entertainment, with a pool table in the centre, a couch to the left of the pool table and a dresser to the right. The basement room is long and a rectangle shape. At the far right end, there is a rocking chair and along the right hand side walls were three locked doors. Now those were spread out leading to what I assume would have been the garage and some other rooms. To the far left-hand side above was your typical basement sky window. The bunk bed was next to the long L part of the staircase, so opposite across the staircase of where you would come down from. The ceiling of the basement was only 7 
were about 7.6 inches high, lined with pipes and ventilation airways. So the top of the bunk bed was pretty close and somewhat claustrophobic. I got the top bunk since I won rock, paper and scissors with my brother. So hopefully my descriptions have been adequate. Now, the basement is a bit weird. For whatever reason, I didn't like being down there alone. It just gave off a vibe that wasn't at all homey or welcoming, as the rest of the house was. My family takes us to the beach, so the first day and night was enjoyable as we were setting into our new home for the week. I'm becoming less of a fan of being on the top bunk bed since it's actually pretty difficult to get down from with such a low ceiling. Our cousins arrive the next day and so we spend the day doing kid stuff, exploring and messing around. As night came, my family had dinner with my cousins and my grandparents and soon bedtime came around. My brother and I went to bed as normally as one would. I remember waking up and feeling like I'm wide awake with my eyelids still feeling very heavy. I usually tend to wake up in the middle of the night so this feels a bit like a habit. My eyes move towards the dresser where there is a digital clock and that casts the room in a semi-green glow. It reads 2.16am. My eyes then scan the room and my focus is directed towards the basement sky window. The moon is nearly full on this night and there's no cloud cover and so it was pretty bright inside casting an eerie beam to the center of the wall on the other side of the room. My eyes followed the light and landed on what I can only describe as a white figure next to the rocking chair. Time slowed down as my mind registered in horror what I was actually seeing. The figure looked around and it was an average height. It was a male and wearing something like a white hood. It stared at me. No legs were visible. So there was only black and I couldn't see the face because the hood was draped over it. It didn't have hands, but its arms were moving around each other. And at the centre of its body, sort of like that dance move, I forgot the name, in a kind of tumbling motion, the hands kept rolling around and around. After a second or so, I snapped out of it in horror and I started screaming as loud as possible and pulled my blankets over my head. I kept screaming until my parents came down from upstairs and I hysterically kept telling them there was a man over there by the right-hand side of the room. Naturally, they didn't believe me and my dad thought I was dreaming. But the thing is, I was fully conscious and it wasn't a lucid dream. I could move because I shifted my head to look at the clock on the dresser. My brother was pretty pissed that I woke up and woke him up. But also, I was pretty freaked out. We didn't sleep in the basement for the rest of the vacation. A smaller side story that happened to my grandmother on the last day was that she and my grandfather were at the house and some point during the night she heard the bathroom door close. The grandmaster bedroom door was pretty heavy, being solid wood, but she thought it was my grandfather going to the bathroom. In the morning, she asked why he had been so loud going to the bathroom the night before, and he said he hadn't. The master bed is pretty big, and she was half asleep when it happened, 
so she wouldn't have noticed if my grandfather was in the bed or not. When they went to leave for the ferry, the cleaners came early and so my grandparents asked them if they think that the house was haunted, which the cleaners believed it was. This was probably one of the weirdest experiences that I'd ever had, but sometimes I wonder if whatever that thing was, that it might not have been a ghost, but actually something more tangible. Something like an actual person who somehow came in through one of the three locked doors in the basement. I like to think it's a ghost, though, because I think it's less terrifying than if it was a real person. But of all the places to be haunted, I find it hilarious that it would be the Ghostbuster, Dan Aykroyd's house. You're listening to Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. Hello everyone and welcome back to the final moments of tonight's Spooky Sundays. What a lot of fabulous stories we have had tonight. I know, right? Oh, incubuses and... <coughs> and, and headless uh, horsemen yeah. and oh it's just it's just been so much to take in i think i'm gonna to have to go home and have a bex and a lie down yeah. after this and i was going to do leviathan for the abc of paranormal but we did the extra incubus story as well so i'm going to upset emmy now by pushing back the abc of paranormal by oh, another no. week i know she's gonna to have to do a thumbnails all over i again. know oh. <laughs> she's gonna hate me i'm sorry she's emmy. hate you but it's okay you can Berate me in person because we're going to be back next weekend. Yes. So back in studio and um, what do you reckon? So many stories to tell. Yeah. So it's going to be fun. We'll be able to tell you what really happened, what we thought of the locations. And we actually did get the uh, information in regards to what to expect. On the the trip, mm-hmm. so we've we've now worked out that the reason why it's called mysterious adventures is because you don't get the itinerary until a, day a, before you a go. few days before you go. So it's all <laughs> all very mysterious. But we are starting off with a river cruise, and then we're going uh, down the Rhine River. We're going to some underground tunnels. We're going to Elts Castle. We're going to Berg. Frankenstein Castle, then to Heidelberg Palace, uh, Nuschen von Stein Castle, Castle. Hohensch von Van Gogh Castle, Berg Castle, Berg Verdenfels, the Hofbrauchshaus München, the German Museum of Medicine History. Oh, this we're going. They're going to show you all of those tools. Oh, those funny oh, Germans no. got D- up you to. You didn't say that. Did you just say the F word? The funny German. Oh, the funny. I thought you said it did for an F word. No, then I got slightly concerned. No. Uh, then B- Berg Wolfseg. Uh, What's that? Flederwisch. I don't know. Is that a... That's a rock passage, apparently. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> That's what happened to me last time I went on holiday. So I ended up with a rock <laughs> passage. I had to take medications. Um, we're going into catacombs or catacombs, however you like to say it. Svikov's <laughs> <laughs> Castle. Another G- castle. Chihuahua Underground. We've got That's seven castles. Hang on, there's more. The Sedlec Ossery, which is the Church of Bones. The, oh. We've got the Kokorin Castle. <laughs> the Hushka Castle. castle. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got Hosofov. Oh, we're going to the Jewish Quarter. Oh. We've got a ghost tour and we're actually going to investigate oh, no. Halska Castle. Are we really going yes. to investigate? I hope so. What, then, <laughs> what wait, investigation? Then we've got the Chernin Palace, Prague Castle. At 10? 
Vitus Cathedral, the Dilaborka Torture Tower, which is oh, where it. we're going to take anyone who wants to take us to another <laughs> castle again. <laughs> But look, no, seriously, we are going to have the best time and I'm really looking forward to catching up with Dave and giving him a hard time for the whole time we're on this trip and to give Maria a hug because this is the first time we're actually going to meet her face-to-face and we've known her for years. Uh, It's going to be a great time. Yes. Uh, In the meantime, we have to say thank you to all of our volunteers who have held the fort for us while we've been gone. mm -hmm. They've run the tours. They've looked after everyone. So thank you, guys. Anything you want to add, Renata? No. <laughs> Great. Thanks for that. You're We're going to sign off. Buy and us a coffee. <laughs> yeah, buy, please, please buy us a coffee. We're going to be so broke. Buy buy, buy me a coffee. Yep. Oh, how many times do I have to say buy? Buy me a coffee, Anne and Renata. It would be greatly appreciated. Guys, we'll be talking to you in real person next week. See you on the dark side. Auf Wiedersehen, <laughs> my schöne children. I don't know what children okay. are. Be Bye. F- be frightfully good and don't be a dickhead. <laughs> Bye. Bye.